0: You're listening to High Temperature Times, your source for the latest news in the refractory industry. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. We're here this month with some recent news to share with the world on what the refractory industry looks like in this day and age. I think we've all felt at least a little of the supply chain crunch over the last year or so, and it's no different here at HWI or any other unnamed or unimportant refractory suppliers out there. So today we'll be talking with Director of Procurement, Jennifer Cunningham, to go through exactly what's happening here and why things seem so out of whack. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I'm not appropriately amped, so I'll need to dip into our technical marketing inbox to get set up. Remember, if you have a question for the podcast, shoot us an email at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com using the subject line podcast. This month's question comes from Roger Allen. When precasting shapes using your monolithic products, how long do I have to wait before demolding the shape? This is definitely a tough question because without a fair amount of effort generating a lot of data for a lot of brands, there's a great deal of mystery going on inside that mold that we just can't lay eyes on. However, we can take a wide swing to look at some numbers. One of the variables that's definitely important here is the size and complexity of the shape, as larger, more complex pieces will require more time to set than something like a tile shape. But to put a range on it, standard materials like Versflow 45 or KS-4 will need anywhere from three to 12 hours to set enough to demold, and a total of 24 hours for the full air cure before firing. High flow materials like express mixes that work really well for precast shapes will take longer as they contain more water. This means it takes them anywhere from 4 to 16 hours to be demolded, with again the full 24 hour air cure before firing. HWI has developed a series of quick setting products like Versaflow 45 QS and Express 30 QS, which reduce the demold time to only 2-6 to hours. While the pieces still require the full 24-hour air cure, the faster demolding time means that you can produce more pieces in a single shift than when using standard products. While I hope to have narrowed down your demolding range just a little bit, if you would like a more accurate demolding window for your precast shapes, or just have another question for the podcast, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. Thanks, Roger, for the question. All right, now I'm good and loose, and I'm sitting here with Jennifer Cunningham to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. Good afternoon, Jen. Good afternoon. So would you like to take a second to tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Absolutely. I'm Jennifer Cunningham. I joined Harbison in 2019, and I'm the director of procurement.
0: As many of you are intimately aware, there are numerous issues in the supply chain all over the world. Much of that stems from the labor issues we're seeing, you know, the great resignation and all that. But that's really only half the picture, or maybe a little over half the picture. But we're going to do our best to not make that an excuse when talking about these issues in the refractory industry. There are things happening all across the world that exacerbate these issues, and I'm excited to talk with Jen about them. I think the best way to hit the variety of topics is by breaking it down by product type. Do you agree? Yes. All right, and uh, let's kick it off by talking about Andalusite. It's likely that you listeners who have used products like Versaflow 57A are familiar with the Andalusite challenges, as this is that one that's been going on for a fair bit longer than the rest of these raw materials that we'll be talking about in this episode. Jen, can you get us all briefed on the general challenges for Andalusite supply, both today and that we've been seeing for the past couple, I guess, years?
1: Sure. So one of the challenges of global procurement is that There could always be an environmental, a political or economic factor that affects our sources of supply. And for Andalusite this year and in the past and future, our primary producers in South Africa, which this year experienced social unrest, which meant that our producers' mine was closed for a period of time this spring due to violence in the region.
0: I should come clean that this is just one of those stories that made me want to talk with you in the first place. I did a little light reading on my own to to learn just what in the heck this social unrest is, especially as, to your point, it's not anything new. I mean, why does something like a former president getting arrested in South Africa mean that I don't have material available for my outage? Well, from what I read, for one, South Africa actually has some of the most riots and protests in the world. Uh, to paint it with broad strokes, the general social unrest is due to service delivery, like electricity and water, and the inequalities within. The main blockade to materials, like Andalusite shipments, comes from the fact that much of these protests happens in major port cities, where underprivileged people move seeking a better life, only to end up living in temporary settlements without access to the aforementioned services, hence the protests. However, to put a much finer point in the situation, especially as it pertains to the refractory industry, Two things happened in South Africa that put new and existing Andalusite on hold for a good long time. Jen, would you like to list them out for us?
1: Sure. So first, as we mentioned, our suppliers mine closed. Um, We also had the Port of Richards Bay, South Africa, that closed again due to this social unrest. So we don't get to pick where these mineral deposits are located in the world. But fortunately for us, Andalusite is mined both in South Africa and Peru. So Harbison was able to go to our secondary producer of Andalusite in Peru, but so did everyone else who needs this raw material this year. We were lucky that we could secure a shipment with a a partner that we have an existing relationship with, but Global Supply is experiencing this constraint in Andalusite.
0: Yeah, and I remember reading about this, This, you know, the, the number one, number two, number, top 10 Andalusite suppliers in the world. And I guess one of the things that I failed to recognize from this is refractory grade Andalusite production. So I guess that, that especially limits where we can get our, our Andalusite from.
1: It does. We like really high quality product that stands up to the temperature requirements that our customers have.
0: I dare say our customers like really high quality product, too. Indeed. So this is, is this just a solution that's expected to write itself as the noise in South Africa settles down, or is HWI taking steps to identify a more stable solution?
1: It's a good question. So the mines in South Africa are catching up, so they have exited their force majeure, that legal designation that says we can't fill your orders, but it's going to take some time for global supply and demand to level out again. So in the meantime, Harbison is continuing to work with both suppliers in both countries to plan our orders for 2022 and in upcoming years.
0: So moving on, I believe this next material strikes the same tune on a slightly different drum, and that's bauxite. As I understand it, outside factors have led to suppliers being unable to meet the increased demand. Can you touch on that a little bit?
1: Sure. So we buy our bauxite out of Guyana, also in South America, Like many producers and mines, this supplier relies not just on Harbison's demand forecast for upcoming years, but they merge that together with all of their other clients to set their production plan for the coming calendar year. And bauxite, just like many other raw materials this year, global demand rebounded from last year's lows much faster than previously expected. And a mine really only has so many ways in which they can increase production. They need more equipment and more labor on site to be able to do that, which is all something that's really hard to come by this year. So it takes time for them to ramp up that production. On top of production constraints, international logistics can always add more delays in how much or how quickly we can get our material. So on top of the vessel shortages that have been talked about in all of 2021, We actually ran into a situation this fall where our scheduled shipment of 6,000 metric tons could only be 5,200 metric tons of bauxite because that month there was a low tide. So even though the vessel had space available to be filled, the water level at the loading port couldn't support a heavier load.
0: Yeah, I'd heard previously about the tidal constraints limiting our bauxite supply. And I'll be honest, I had no idea how those two things could be connected. I mean, how... How does refractory materials that's been mined in land, right? Not at the port, but in land. How does a low tide mean that they can't get those? But the way you put it really ties it together well. If there isn't enough water in the port, the boat can't hold as much weight because it'll bottom out. It's just fascinating how such small changes in these uncontrollable forces can have such substantial effects. Exactly. And how has HWI positioned itself to avoid, I guess avoid these issues as the tide, but, you know, be able to have the flexibility in these issues, especially given that we haven't uh, secured anyone for that open position on controlling the weather or the gravitational pull of the moon.
1: Right. So I can't fix the tides, but what I can do is make sure that we have approved alternate sources. So anywhere that we think we may have a primary supplier or only have one approved supplier, that's a risky Supply source. We don't want to be in that situation. For bauxite in particular, we actually have already three approved alternate sources. So they might not be our preferred logistics. You know, we might be bringing it in from China instead of South America. It might be more expensive than our our typical source, but it allows us to bring in material to keep our plants running and to meet our customers' demand. So. For this particular instance, we were able to make additional purchases of material from other producers, and you know, for long-term planning, we'll continue to work with our Guyanese supplier, make sure they see our revised forecast for the upcoming year, and we'll continue to balance our orders between what they can supply versus our alternate sources.
0: And I think one of the important points to highlight what you were saying there is is it might be you know less ideal logistics, or it might not be priced in a way that that we can deal with long term but the one thing we you didn't mention importantly is we don't we don't sacrifice on the quality we make sure that these materials are up to snuff just as much as the guyanese material is correct
1: correct so in all of these cases for additional bauxite purchases they were at or higher quality levels than our primary supplier and it's really only possible if you've done the legwork in advance for this so if you wait until you have a shortage to try and look for an alternate supplier so is everyone else in the market everyone needs material so for procurement for research for harbison's quality department we all try and look ahead and anticipate where we may see supply constraints and see what we can do about qualifying sources in advance so that when something goes wrong we already have a relationship with an alternate supplier
0: Yeah. And speaking of China, let's open up that whole can of worms. HWI, like so many companies out there, uses a lot of raw materials from Asia. Can you give us a sense of scale here?
1: Well, we do source a lot of material out of China in particular. So, you know, again, we talked about how Andalusite refractory grade is in South Africa, as well as Peru. When it comes to magnesite deposits, the ones that we want are located in China, Are other deposits in the world, but either political forces or quality um, makes those less desirable options. So we are really committed here to buying some materials out of China. But as I said, we always partner with our research and our quality teams to make sure that we are identifying manufacturing sources. If it's all in China, maybe it's in different provinces. Again, to try and spread our risk. So the more alternate sources we have, the less likely it is that one new tariff, one tsunami, or a delayed vessel will affect our supply of raw materials in a critical way.
0: And what's happening with China right now that's causing it to be a topic of conversation in this uh, supply chain challenges episode?
1: So China has really had multiple things that are impacting their source of supply. So We've been talking about pandemic-created shortages of shipping vessels, shipping containers. But in China, we know that every year we're impacted by Chinese New Year uh, as people take a couple weeks off to enjoy time with their families, same as we do around our holidays. They're also hosting the Winter Olympics this coming February. Um, they've had recent power shortages and they've, you know, again, struggled with vessel and um, port closures. So Chinese New Year always happens in Q1, uh, always causes delays in production and logistics when everyone's out of the office. But procurement and logistics at Harbison plan around those dates to make sure any shipments we need are happening before or after the holiday break. However, this coming year, with the Olympics running almost the entire month of February, We knew in advance that this was going to extend the period of time where both production and shipping were impacted. So China, when they've hosted the Olympics in the past, has actually curtailed mining. They've limited the number of explosives available to producers, and they have limited the number of emissions permitted prior to the Olympic Games to ensure they have clean air and clear skies. Um, Ports might be closed for, again, logistics of athletes and materials that are arriving for the Olympic Games. Uh, So what Harbison has done is we took the long view this year in 2021, and we started planning in advance to pull in material before the end of this year so that we were not reliant on shipments for almost the first half of next year. So we've planned ahead. We don't have an infinite amount of raw materials. We obviously brought over a fixed quantity but we know we're covered for our forecasted demand through the first half of the year.
0: That's really interesting and, uh, and shows a lot about the work that you have to do to, you know, look into your crystal wall and plan for these things.
1: So that any day we may turn on the news and see uh, an article or hear about something happening in the world that is going to trickle down into our supply chains. And that is part of the fun of procurement.
0: So once they announce the next Olympics in Guyana, we're going to have to get to
1: work. I'm not sure that Guyana (laughs) will host, but yes, we would want to pull in a good bit of materials.
0: (laughs) And as I understand it, other things that regularly come out of China, like shipping containers, are only making things worse. How bad has that?
1: That got really expensive this year. So anyone who has bought something out of China knows that shipping has been honestly astronomical this year for some of the goods that we purchase we have historically paid an average of 3500 to ship a container from China to our most common US locations that same container cost us up to $20,000 earlier this year so that is a huge cost difference in some cases we may have paid more in logistics costs than for the material inside that container. So this has really forced us to evaluate what we're buying from China and where we may want to consider an alternate sourcing strategy. And we did make that decision this year for some of our GreenTherm IFB products. Uh, it's become cheaper and faster to source that out of a domestic supplier in the U.S. If and when freight costs come back down, the procurement team will reevaluate what the best option for Harbison is to source those materials, and we can always change our sourcing strategy, again, based on current conditions. So freight costs will come back down. We're not seeing costs continue to rise. They seem to have leveled out for the moment, but there's a big difference between $3,500 and $20,000, and we're not anywhere near 3500 yet.
0: Yeah. Your comments on the the shipping containers, the Chinese New Year, and the upcoming Olympics actually remind me of this really great podcast episode from Materialism about the perfect storm that led to the silicon chip crisis that started last winter. It's a great podcast, Materialism, from fellow material scientists over at the University of Utah. Everyone should definitely check it out. But speaking of fancy technology like silicon chips, another unique story in the raw material supply chain is that of reactive alumina, one of the uh, the more unique raw materials that HWI deals with. Reactive alumina is it's just high purity alumina that's been milled and milled and milled until it's really small. It's important for pressed products because it helps fill those small holes and increase the packing density, but it's also added to many monolithics, especially silica-free monolithics, as a flow aid. But where only the ceramics industry had been historically big users of this raw material, things are changing in this new high-tech world we're living in. Jen, care to elucidate on what I'm talking about? Sure. So
1: as every material we've talked about, a couple factors influencing supply right now. Most critically for reactive alumina, there's a shortage of alumina feedstock this year. So... Lumina feedstock produces reactives, calcines, tabulars, you know, anything from basic to specialty aluminas. So our suppliers are constrained in how much material they can make right now because they have a fixed amount of feedstock available on hand. But secondly, there's new demands for reactives. While refractory and ceramics may have historically been the big users for reactives, new technologies have emerged over recent years that also now use the material Most notably, the electronics industry. So reactives are used now for lithium batteries. It's a coating used in those batteries. So if you ever heard news stories a few years ago about cell phone batteries that were exploding mid-flight on airlines, that, that was the issue, and they solved it with reactive. So we're not just using reactives in the electronics for our cell phones, but it's also being used for electric vehicles and those much larger batteries. So as EVs become more and more common, we are forecasting that the demand for this particular raw material is going to proportionately increase. So once again, limited supply and increasing demand. Harbison already has multiple sources of supply, so multiple producers of this material, and we're working closely with them to align our demand forecast with their production forecasts. And really having that partnership established in advance, having agreements in place to guarantee minimum levels of supply is how Harbison is going to ensure we have enough material to meet our upcoming needs.
0: Yeah, it really doesn't sound like one of those situations that's just going to write itself. So what are some of the other ways HWI will manage this reactive alumina supply going forward? I mean, are there new suppliers coming out or are there new technologies that we're using given the growth in the electronic vehicle development?
1: Yes. So our suppliers are looking at ways that they can increase their production. So they just want to make more material. Uh, We can all understand wanting to chase more sales. Uh, One of our suppliers in particular proposed an alternate reactive they thought would suit our needs because they're able to produce it in half the time compared to the material we had previously been ordering. So we went ahead this year and worked with research to qualify that alternate reactive that does work for us. So again, in this close partnership with our suppliers, we're looking at how we can meet our needs and how our suppliers continue to meet market demand in general to keep everyone supplied with the reactives that we need.
0: All right, thank you so much, Jen. It seems like you and your team have been very busy and have quite a lot to do to keep this ship afloat. Thank you so much for your time, Uh, but before I get to it, I did wanna help put a little perspective into supplier qualification. For some things, switching from supplier A to supplier B can be quite easy. For instance, I prefer to get my olive oil from Penn Mac, but if I'm unable to get downtown for any reason, any old olive oil will do but that's just not quite the case for so much of the raw materials that go into the refractories that you use. So here's an excerpt from Jeff Bogan as to why not.
2: When you're baking, you may use both sugar and salt. Generally, they look the same in color, size, and shape, but they're not interchangeable in a recipe. The final product would be unacceptable. Imagine using a cup and a half of salt instead of sugar. It's the same way with many of our refractory raw materials that we use. Uh, They may look the same, but they can have a very different impact on the final product and can make the final product unacceptable. We have raw material specs for each of our raw materials. Some may be more critical, such as a cement, uh, but some may be more generic, uh, like a silica sand. Whether the raw material is more critical or more generic in nature, the Certificate of Analysis, or C of A, for each shipment of a raw material is reviewed against the raw material specs at our manufacturing sites, to make sure it meets our criteria before authorizing it for use. This practice of checking C of A against specs works well for raw materials that have already been approved, but what about new raw materials we want to use? New materials we want to approve for use, let's go through a qualification process. The qualification process may be relatively straightforward or may be quite complex. For generic or less critical raw materials, the process may be as straightforward as comparing the C of A product data, and historical data of the new raw material against the appropriate raw material spec. Also, with these materials, we may test a sample of the raw material itself. For example, we could test the chemistry and sizing and even mineralogy based on the material. However, in most cases, and especially for critical raw materials, such as a cement or a fine powder, we need to more fully understand the impact of the new raw material in a final product. If the raw material passes the initial screening done, For less critical materials, we would then do lab testing in some of our brands. The products selected for testing are based on the percentage of the new raw material used in the product, the volume sold of the product, the final application of the product, and even customer requirements. The properties selected for testing will be based on any potential impact the new raw material may have on the performance, the final HWI product. For example, if a fine aluminum powder is being qualified in a castable, the flow, set time, density, room temperature, and hot strength, and linear change may be tested. In a brick, the same fine aluminum powder may need density, linear change, and refractoriness under load. Harpers and Walker International takes approving new raw materials very seriously. Even after all the lab testing, plant trials and field trials, and potentially customer trials may also be done to fully qualify a new raw material. I've often told our procurement department that'll be their best friend in approving new raw materials but also the worst enemy by not approving a material if it does not meet our standards. After all, no one wants to eat a salty cake.
0: But that's all we have for you this month. It's a unique situation we're all finding ourselves in, and the challenges we're seeing in the supply chain are widespread and interconnected. Just know that everyone is working their way through it, and HWI is no different. We will work intensely to identify a way to get refractories for you when you need them. If you have any questions about the products or raw materials mentioned on this show, please do reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. This might have been the most merry or cheerful episode to ring in the holiday season with, but I do certainly wish you a happy holiday and look forward to a new year of high temperature times next month and next year. Thanks for listening.